Hello, you are listening to an episode of Trade Talks, a podcast about the economics of trade policy. I'm Samaya Keynes, the Trade and Globalization Editor for The Economist. And I'm Chad Bown, a senior fellow with the Peterson Institute for International Economics. This episode is about the announcement of a phase one deal between the US and China. As this was really just an announcement, we have not seen the details of the deal yet. But we have seen a bit more detail than all of the other announcements on the US-China trade conflict so far. So this really is something very, very different. And what we're gonna try to do here is to summarize what we do know, and we're gonna try to tell you what to look out for when more details arise. At 10.25 a.m. on Friday, December 13th, we got the tweet that everybody had been waiting for. We have agreed to a very large phase one deal with China. Later that morning, I went to an on-the-record briefing with Ambassador Robert Lighthizer, the United States Trade Representative. And at the briefing, he brought along the deal. He had it tucked away in this leather folder. Um, He didn't let us read it, though, uh, because it still needs to be legally scrubbed. So we won't see what's in it for a few weeks but it exists as an 86-page document. 86 pages sounds like maybe that's an official agreement. I guess I guess we'll wait and see. What I saw on Friday was a little bit different. I saw one and a half pages, but it was a good one and a half pages. This is a USTR fact sheet that they actually put out on Friday afternoon. So what they're claiming on this fact sheet is that this deal is going to include China making some commitments on intellectual property rights protection, this the issue of forced technology transfer, agriculture, financial services, currency, dispute resolution, and then a chapter called expanding trade, expanding trade. To me, that sounds like managed trade. And so maybe let's talk a, a bit about that part first. So the fact sheet said that China had signed up to increase their purchases relative to the level in 2017 by $200 billion. And funnily enough, we we checked afterward, the the Chinese government was doing their own press conference, rolling out their their kind of side of the story the same day. They did not share that number. So what else did you find out? Where where does that number come from and how should we think about all this? So yes, we, we got told that $200 billion number. And my understanding is that It covers purchases that are going to be split into four different categories. So uh, there's manufactured goods, then there's the food, agricultural, and seafood products category. We've got the energy category and then services. This is $200 billion over two years. So the way to think about the $200 billion number is plus, say, 100 in 2020, and then the same thing again in 2021. The $200 billion is sort of split between the two years and, and doesn't accumulate. I'm being a bit vague about the numbers because I, I don't know how that $200 billion is going to be split between the, the two years. Robert Lighthizer gave us an indication of how the agriculture numbers were going to work. So the agricultural products, um, they're going to take a baseline of $24 billion in 2017. And then in 2020, the Chinese have committed apparently to increasing that by $16 billion. 
and then the same thing again in, in 2021. So the commitment is for $40 billion worth of purchases in, in 2020 and, and, and also in 2021. And then Ambassador Lighthouse has said the Chinese were going to make their best efforts to increase purchases even beyond that, perhaps by an extra $5 billion or, or even more. And so that's how we're getting to this 40 to $50 billion figure that the president has been bandying around. Okay, so then the other thing to say is that there are going to be headline numbers that are going to be made public. So this $16 billion worth of extra ag purchases. But within that, there are going to be subcategories. So apparently the Trump administration has been very specific about what they want to see in terms of extra purchases from the Chinese. So they've got categories like oil seeds or, or cereals or, or that kind of thing. But they are not going to share those numbers. And and the reason that Ambassador Lighthouse gave was that they, they don't want markets to move. So that's interesting. Ambassador Lighthizer knows the specifics of, of the products and the targets, but he's not going to tell the world about them because that information might move markets. Fine. At one level, this sounds a lot like the the voluntary import expansion sort of arrangements that the United States pursued in the 1980s with Japan when we were upset that we weren't exporting as as much semiconductors into their market. We had them take on commitments to buy more of our stuff. But what I can guess is just like was the case then, and there were gap disputes about that back in the 1980s when the Europeans and other countries got upset that Japan was doing this, other countries are going to get upset about this too. So you can imagine Brazil and Argentina saying, China, you're you're just going to buy only soybeans from the United States to meet those targets. That's essentially a violation of MFN under the WTO, this non-discrimination rule. Now, obviously, countries following WTO rules nowadays, there's sort of questionable activity going on around all over the world. But I think you can you can really imagine this is not going to play well with the broader international community, this this particular side of the, the agreement. So in the briefing, Ambassador Lighthizer was asked about the the WTO compliance of all of this, and he said, "Yes, yes, it will it will be WTO compliant." Um, but I have I have also had some skepticism. I harbor some myself about how the Chinese could um, meet these commitments if they haven't indeed made them without violating the the kind of non-discrimination rules and and that's because these are these are big increases it's tough for the chinese to do them without diverting trade from somewhere else and hurting a different trading partner to me the administration's focus on these specific numeric targets these outcomes for how much china is supposed to import from the united states as opposed to opening up their markets cutting their tariffs and those kinds of things That's important because the argument all along traditionally has been we're worried about China because it's not becoming market-oriented enough. Its outcomes are being driven by decisions that their government is making. And here it's as if Ambassador Lighthizer is saying, we've basically just given up. We've we've recognized that they're not a a market economy. Uh, We're not going to expect them to liberalize. All we want them to do is to direct their state capitalist system to buying more stuff from us instead. And so I think that's an interesting outcome that seems to have come out of these, these, at least this part of the negotiations. So at this point, I, I just want to highlight something. Ambassador Lighthizer had this piece of paper, and on it was a table that set out the categories of products that the Chinese had agreed to make purchases of. We didn't have any numbers on it, but it, it laid out the categories. And one person in the room asked, are you going to hand that round? 
Um, and he said something like, oh, if, if I give you guys too much, it's, it's all you're going to write about. Um, so I, I took from that, this isn't just about these purchases. I, I think it's an important part. It will, I think, justifiably attract a lot of criticism. But there's other stuff in this deal as well that we should pay attention to. Okay, so let's talk about some of those other things then. What else was in the deal? Well, you listed them in the fact sheet. Um, there are a few things that jumped out. Lighthizer said that the intellectual property provisions were similar to the ones in, in the USMCA, though, though also a bit narrower. He said that there were provisions on the more structural issues in terms of market access for America's agricultural products into China. So things like regulatory approval for new products, biotechnology, that sort of thing. He said that the Chinese had agreed to open up their financial services sector. And, and he said, you know, you can see that happening now, right? He said the Chinese are sort of doing what we have agreed to. And I think that highlights just how difficult this deal may be to assess. I think it's going to be really difficult to know um, what was really because of the deal or what the Chinese would have just done anyway. And then on, on the other stuff, I think we we just don't know without seeing the text. Now, there were some things that sounded like they could be progress that, that hasn't been made before. So, for example, the, the Chinese agreed not to make forced technology transfer part of the process of getting administrative licenses. So it's been this problem that it's it's not that a business partner is forcing you to hand over the technology when you're an American company wanting to get into the Chinese market. It's that you want to get in and the authorities say, oh, well, if you want to be approved, you have to hand over all of the details about how you make stuff. And oh, there might be someone from your competitor on the review board. So apparently the Chinese said they won't do that anymore. But yeah, I think I think the other stuff, we're going to have to wait for the details. So I think this sounds really fascinating, and I can't wait to see the details in writing on all 86 pages of them. And I'm sure we'll do many fantastic Trade Talks episodes about them. But there's a big one out there that we we kind of really need to know a bit more about, which is enforcement. So did he say anything about enforcement that, that wasn't on the fact sheet? Yeah, and and this, this matters as a reminder because this whole deal is based on the idea that if the Chinese don't live up to their promises, then tariffs could go up, right? So the enforcement chapter basically sets out the process by which that would happen. And and so an American company might, might bring a complaint. You would try to resolve the problem at the staff level. That couldn't happen. Then you'd, you'd elevate it and you'd elevate it. And, and eventually it would get to the level of Ambassador Lighthizer. He would ultimately make a decision about whether the, the rules are being stuck to, obviously consulting with his Chinese counterparts to try and get them to fix the problem. Um, but ultimately, if he decided that the problem hasn't been fixed, then there could be a remedy based on the amount of harm that the, the offending action had caused. So it basically sounds like a sort of Section 301 process and that ultimately the US decides, but with much more consultation with, with the Chinese partners. So they're not outsourcing enforcement to the WTO here? No, they are not, Chad. Um, okay, so I asked about the the kinds of evidence, the standards of evidence that could be used. Um, in the past, one of the problems has been that companies have been afraid of coming forward because they're worried that if the Chinese authorities find out that they've complained, then they'll face retaliation. And so the, the challenge is how can you gather enough 
information while preventing the risk of that retaliation. And one way to do that is to basically allow anonymous reporting and make that count as as evidence. So I asked whether anonymous reports from companies would count. And he said yes. And he imagined that that would be a big part of, of the process. This has been a real problem in the past. I guess my my hot take on that was, um, yes, this this has been a real problem in the past. Maybe companies will now trust the, the process enough to come forward with their complaints. But you can also see the risks. If you just imagine the Americans going to the Chinese, take an extreme scenario, I doubt this would happen, but they said, you know, we have this company, we're not going to tell you who they are or which authority that they were engaged with, but they say that they were told to hand over their technology as part of this administrative process. And the Chinese say, well, which authority? Tell us. <laughs> and the Americans won't tell them. Then how can the Chinese remedy that? In a lot of these scenarios, too, I would imagine the markets are pretty concentrated, and so there may only be one firm. And so, if if somebody's complaining at all, you're gonna the Chinese government is going to be able to figure out where the complaint was coming from. I, I mean, enforcement is is by far the hardest issue in all of this. The way you described it, it sounds very much like what Ambassador Lighthizer testified back in spring before Congress. His vision for an enforcement program would ultimately look like. But this is, this is going to be hard. The idea of putting all of this decision-making power in the hands of ultimately you know, one individual, the U.S. trade representative in this, in, in this instance, when some of this you know, can be based on anonymous information that the rest of the world can't see, it, you can imagine how it could run into problems. So Ambassador Lighthizer may be a very reasonable guy, but he may retire someday. And you could imagine somebody taking his place who's just simply much more hawkish toward China, say Peter Navarro were to, were to become U.S. trade representative, enforcement might look very, very different in, in, in that kind of world. So I think there's still probably a lot of conflict uh, that we're, we're likely to see in this area. Okay, next. So maybe let's spend just a little bit of time talking about what's not in the phase one deal. And the big one that I noticed reading through the one and a half page fact sheet that I saw was subsidies. It was not mentioned a single time. Did it come up in in the briefing? Okay, Chad, I know where you're going on this. Um, okay, so Ambassador Lighthizer did mention something about greater transparency for, for domestic support, I think, in, in agriculture. Uh, but yeah, I don't I don't think industrial subsidies were part of the deal. But to be fair, they, they didn't advertise that it would be, right? I think in October, it was pretty obvious that it, it wouldn't be part of the deal. And they're certainly not claiming that they've addressed everything. I mean, the hint's in the name, it's phase one. You know, Ambassador Lighthizer very clearly acknowledged that there were a lot of difficult issues that they had not addressed as part of this agreement. I mean, okay, so another question I asked was um, was about this phase two. Um, so as Trade Talks listeners will be aware, there's this process called the, the trilateral, which is discussions between the US, the EU and Japan on on what new rules over subsidies could look like, perhaps at, at the World Trade Organization. And I asked, you know, could could those rules be folded into the phase two discussions? You know, maybe that could be something that they could ask the Chinese to sign up to. Um, that That was dismissed. Those processes are going to be very separate, it seems. That's a little disappointing, I suppose. I might have hoped that maybe the answer to why the subsidies weren't in the phase one deal is because they were ready to really grasp onto this trilateral process with with both hands 
with Europe and, and Japan and, and start to use that to really tackle this difficult issue of, of subsidies. I guess we'll have to wait. Okay, can we talk about the tariffs now? The American tariffs? Sure. Okay, why don't you walk us through what we know about the U.S. tariffs? So this information we, we actually got on Friday also from President Trump's Twitter feed. So basically, the way to think about it at this stage, there's three sets of tariffs. There were those that were implemented before September 1st. There were those that were implemented on September 1st. And then there are the ones that were due to come on on December 15th. Those earlier rounds of tariffs are, are going to stay on. So those are 25% tariffs on around $250 billion worth of imports. The second set, the ones that were imposed on September 1st, the ones that hit things like clothing and shoes, they are going to be reduced. They're currently at 15%. They're going to fall to 7.5%. And just to say, we, we don't know when exactly they will cut that tariff level. Um, it, it, it looks like it could be probably 30 days after signing the deal, which would happen in the first week of January in expectation. it's We don't really know. But that is an important question because if you're, you know, American retailers, buyers of, of these shoes and clothes waiting for those tariffs to fall, you don't want to buy those things until you get those lower tariffs. So when we look at the trade data, we may actually see sort of a, a trade depressing effect uh, of these product categories until we get past the stage of when the tariffs are actually cut. Okay, but then on that that other, that third product list, the tariffs that were due on December 15th, they are not going on at all. And those were supposed to be 15% tariffs on about $160 billion worth of imports from China. Not going on after all. It sounds like this is the new status quo. So there are no plans to take tariffs off, aside from an exclusions process that will, will carry on. Um, and there are also no plans to put tariffs back up if everyone sticks to the terms of the deal as Ambassador Lighthizer understands them. So absent a phase two, absent a grand new layer of this trade deal, this is this is the new normal. And that is all for Trade Talks. A huge thank you to everyone who has helped me this week. A huge thank you to Chris Rogers at Panjiva for being so helpful um, with trade data stuff. Thanks to Joe Glauber of, of IFPRI for his agriculture takes, Jake Parker of the US-China Business Council, everyone else I reached out to who will not be named, but just please know that I'm very grateful. Thank you to Ambassador Lighthizer for deigning to talk to us journalists. And thanks as always to Colin Warren, our audio guy, especially this weekend for pulling a double shift. Do follow us on Twitter. I'm at Samaya Keynes. And I'm at Chad Bound. And we're on at trade underscore underscore talks. That's not one but two underscores, at trade underscore underscore talks. Because two major episodes on, I love trade talks, but this needs to end. <laughs> Please don't make me do any more. You mean this weekend or just there's, done. There, there's so many agreements, all these I'm agreements. Done. I'm done for this year. Don't worry, listeners, I'm okay. But as a final note in this holiday season, from none other than my choir, the 18th Street Singers, we're going to hear a light-hearted Christmas song with some amendments suggested by Will Malden. On the 12th day of trade, will my white house give to me? Fines for Argentina, New Deal with Korea, Hong Kong, her sanctions run, Vera dancing free, trainers swapping China, trainers swooning, phase one deal awaiting, tax your TV. For failing farms, tariff French cheese, new NAFTA deal, and a steel 